I need some volunteers. Okay, come on. That's one. That's two. Who else? Come on in. Miss Jody. There we go. And one more right here. Mr. Quackenboss. There we go. All right, here's what I want you all to do. Did I give you one? Okay, here's what I want you all to do. I want you all to get together, and I want you all to spell a, a word. What, what letters do we have? R, G, G, T, N, H. What, what's wrong? They, they can't spell anything without vowels? Oh. Here they are. I need three more volunteers. Well, come on. Come on. There's one, two, and three. Okay, one, there you go, Brian, and you, hold that one, all right, there we go, thank you, all right, now spell a word, see if y'all can figure it out. You mean you can't spell a word without vowels? Huh. Could, could it, could anybody figure out? what the word was? I mean, some of y'all watch that Vanna White game. Y'all be able to figure this stuff out, right? Starts with a G. Yes, it starts with a G. The beginning word starts with a G. And it ends with a G. I. So, Linda, you go down to the end. I-N-G, okay. A is the second letter. A is the second letter. No, T, no, no, T-H. T-H. Wait, no. Wait, oh, one more. <laughs> Gathering. Now, what y'all may not know is that is what church is all about right there. Now, here's why. Because it took a village. And without, with, without the vows, you couldn't get it done. But when everybody worked together, and we even had some help from the peanut gallery. No, when everybody started working together, then we were able to spell the word gathering. Thank you all so much. Now, will you give me those letters back? Uh, let's do the consonants first, because we're going to play the same trick on the next group. Women are the vowels. Okay, well, that's... I don't, well, Oh, you're being metaphorical. I see. I see. Uh, don't tell them. See, well, then they may be looking at Facebook right now. Uh, 
Here's the thing about the church. Every letter is important. Every person is important in the church. Uh, There are no inconsequential letters. You may think that an I is not that important. It certainly doesn't sound as strong as a G. But a G can't get anything done without an I. Every letter is important. There are no unimportant members of the people of God. Today we're finishing up this series on what we believe and we're going to look. And by the way, this is a long sermon. I'm just telling you. So if you want to leave, leave now. And if you leave while I'm preaching, you got about a five-minute window right now. If you leave while I'm preaching, I'm going to call you out as you're walking out. It's an emergency, Pastor. It's an emergency. There. That's a deacon of the church right there. Fish, you better sit down. Oh, you got parking lot duty. Well, you just sit in the back, fish. A deacon of the church. Good night. Uh, Dean Dunn is his name, and he is a wonderful, faithful servant of the Lord. And he didn't leave like some of y'all wanted him to. He's sitting in the back. Anyway, uh, we, uh, we, we're finishing up this series on the church. It is going to be a long message, and, and I have to make it long. There's just no way around it. So we're going to try to do this. I'll try to do it in such a way that uh, you, you don't feel like it's uh, cumbersome and, and burdensome to you. Uh, and, and I know that some of you are here today, and as there are every week, uh, there are some of you here, and, and you're not a member of our church. You're, not, you're, you're just kind of trying to figure this whole thing out, and, and so what, what's going to happen today may sound a little goofy, uh, a little strange, and I'll try to explain a little bit as we go along, but, but if you don't understand, just hold on, and, uh, and, and uh, even ask me questions at the guest reception after. Come up and and, and, uh, and ask me questions of things that you didn't understand. I'd love to help clarify some things. Uh, this, this message, though, is about us, right? It's about the church. And when we consider what the church is, um, what we believe about the church, uh, we find in Scripture, right, in the Bible. But can I suggest that many of us, all of us, uh, we show what we believe about the church by how we behave. How you behave shows what you believe about the church. How you behave shows how you value the church or what value you place on the church. Our behavior reflects our belief. Can, can I just ask you, just by your behavior, what do you really believe about the church? You just think about that. What do you really believe about the church? If you just went by your behavior, not, not by all the Sunday school answers you learned, but by how you're behaving right now, what do you really believe about the church? A couple of things that I, I, I think is important for us to get out in the open before we get, get down to the nitty-gritty of, of all the things that I'm going to share. Um, the church is not a, a charitable organization to be joined or supported at your whim. 
The, the church is, is not a political organization that you can manipulate. Uh, the church is the gathering of God's people revealing His glory to the world. That's the church. Now, a couple of things that we need to look at before we go any further in that definition. The gathering of God's people. Who are God's people? Well, God's people are a distinct set of people. God's people, not everybody in the world. That's not God's people. God's people are those who by faith have trusted Jesus Christ to rescue them from the guilt and the stain of their sin and have entered into a relationship with God. God's people are those who have, have allowed, who have repented their sin and placed their faith in Jesus and crossed that line of faith to become a follower of Christ. They are brought into this people of God, the church. The Greek term ekklesia is the most common term used for church. It's used 114 times in the New Testament, and it means the gathered. Now, that's, that's who it is. It's the gathered. And they are gathered together by God through faith in Christ. Now, friends, if you're here today and you think you're a member of this church because your name is on a dotted line somewhere, you are mistaken. You are first and foremost a member of this church because you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, it does not matter what religious works you have done. You are not truly a member of the church. At First Baptist Church Norfolk, we, we are very intent on demonstrating this this uh, crossing the line of faith. We are very intent on uh, our membership uh, demonstrating that they are followers of Christ. And, and the mark uh, of, of an individual crossing that line of faith and becoming a follower of Christ is believer's baptism. I, I do giggle sometimes, especially uh, over the last decade or so. It's always been this way, but but especially the last decade or so, uh, I'll talk with individuals who say, talk about being member, a member of the church, and, and we talk about baptism, and they, they act like I'm speaking a foreign language. You mean I have to be baptized? Well, it makes me giggle because it's actually in our name. First Baptist Church? You might think if it's in our name, it's kind of an important deal for us. And it's a deal-breaker for church membership at First Baptist Church Norfolk. Uh, other people will say, well, you know, y'all are so weird about baptism. They, you talk about how, how you were, uh, as an infant, you, you were uh, dedicated or christened, baptized, sprinkled as a baby. And you say, well, that, that's baptism, isn't it? And later on, you were confirmed. You went through a confirmation uh, process and you were confirmed, and at some point in time, you you uh, perhaps embraced Christ, crossed out, made that choice, and and you might say, well, well, that baptism as a baby isn't that isn't that enough? And and I would say, well, without without trying to demean other Christian faith traditions at all, I would just say we're talking about something different. See, no matter what you believe about infant baptism, that is different than the baptism we practice here at First Norfolk. 
infant baptism, when you're baptized as an infant, it's one of two reasons, essentially. I'm, I'm summarizing here, but it's one of two reasons. Either you're being baptized to protect you from original sin so that you are protected until that moment of confirmation. Okay, so, so that's, that's one reason that people have infant baptism. Now, we don't believe you need to be protected from original sin because although we believe in original sin, we believe God's grace covers you and a baptism isn't going to make that any different. So we don't believe that baptism can, can rescue you like that. Uh, so one reason is, is you're, you look at baptism, infant baptism, protect from original sin. Another reason that, that uh, some faith traditions baptize is because they want to bring you under the protection of the covenant of the church. And so they want to bring you under the covenant of the church so that you are protected until that time where you choose Christ. And again, we don't believe that you need to do that, that you are protected by God's grace until you come to that point in time where you recognize your need for Jesus. And, and so when we're looking at infant baptism, we're talking about one thing. Now, what we practice, we don't, we don't christen and we don't sprinkle, we, we dunk. Now, baptism for us is a big deal because we believe the Scripture shows us that believers are baptized. That when you come to that point in time in your life where you recognize your need for Jesus and you cry out to him, you repent your sin, you cross the line of faith, you put all your hopes in Jesus and he brings you into relationship with God. He makes you at home with God. When, when your sin is forgiven forever through faith in Christ and you belong to the people of God, in that moment, the moment you cross the line of faith, then... We believe the Scripture teaches us that we are baptized as a believer. And baptism as a believer is a demonstration of what Jesus has done in your life. The baptism as a believer doesn't save you from your sin. Jesus saves you from your sin. He's already done that. It doesn't, it doesn't make you more holy. No, Jesus has made you as holy as you need to be in the presence of God. What does baptism do? It describes and declares what Jesus has done in your life. So uh, you're buried with Christ under the water. It's a picture of Christ's death on the cross for you and and you embracing his death as the payment price for your sin. Uh, So you're under the water. You're still bubbling under there. Bubble, bubble. It's a picture of Christ's death and, and your faith in Christ is your only hope for salvation. As you're brought up out of the water, it's a picture of Christ's resurrection from the dead and, and you receiving the new life that he offers. It's a a beautiful picture of the new life that you have in Christ. And as a church, if you are not baptized as a believer, you cannot be a member of First Baptist Church Norfolk. And I know some of you are like, well, that's not right. Well, yeah, it kind of is. It's kind of the way we've done it since 1805. Right? Does that make sense? I know it may be intolerant to you at some level but it's the way we've done it since 1805 and we believe it's the right way and and that's not saying i mean uh, catholics have done it that way since ad 325 that's why they do it the way they do it right and we're kind of new on the block baptists have been doing it our way um some would say all the way to the new testament i would too but uh i can certainly say since uh 
you know, 1600s, there have been Baptists who have been bleeding baptism the way we do. And, and our church has been doing it since 1805. All right, so, so that's, that's kind of a picture of First Baptist Church. Now, once, once you are uh, embracing Christ as Lord and Savior and become part of the family of faith, at that moment, uh, you are part of the larger church to be a member of our church. So you baptized as a believer. And, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of what sets us apart. And we draw that from a lot of places in Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, uh, 41, 42. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, 40, 41, and 42, we see that Peter preached at, in Jerusalem. Uh, 3,000 people met Jesus on that day, and they were baptized as believers. And the church, the first Baptist church in Jerusalem, was started there in Acts chapter 2. I'm just saying just saying, pointing it out. They were baptized as believers. Uh, so, that being said, uh, what else does the Bible say to us about the church being a gathering of God's people, revealing His glory to the world? I'm not going to be able to cover everything, but all of that was introduction. So, just hold on tight. Here we go. I'm going to try to go slow. I'm going to, I'm going to try to... Try to uh, repeat the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today uh, several times. There's not one central text that we're looking at, so it makes me uncomfortable. I like to preach from one central text. There's not one central text that we're preaching from today that we're going to look at today. There are several passages that we're going to look at. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, when we finish today, you'll be able to walk out and say, I understand what the Bible says about the church, and I believe it. And I'm going to adjust my life to match it. That's my prayer. All right? So, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, there's this great discourse. I preached this not, not too many weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Uh, preached uh, Colossians chapter 1. I love Colossians chapter 1 because it talks about the preeminence of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. The, 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 the superimposing sovereignty of, of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I love the picture of Christ, and, uh, and, and in verse 15, it, it talks about Colossians 1, verse 15, it talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I love that picture of who Jesus is. But if you look at verse 18, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, the scripture says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So if the church is the gathering of God's people revealing his glory in the world, what does that mean for us today? Well, first it means that the church is the presence of Christ in our world. The church is the presence of Christ in the world. And you might say, well, boy, I tell you, that's sad. And you you might say, well, boy, we're not doing a very good job of that. And I would say you're probably right. Now, we, we need to grow in representing Christ to the world. We, we need to do a better job of representing Christ to the world. But the reason I say that, that, that the church is uh, the, the, the presence of Christ in the world is because of how that Paul and other places in Scripture talk about the church as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Now, here in Colossians 1.18... It says it very clearly that, that the church is the body, but Jesus is the 
head. Uh, that, that term for head uh, it can mean source or origin, like uh, headwaters of a, of a river. The, the, the spring that, 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 pro, that uh, produces the river that flows. It, it can mean source or origin. It can mean head, the boss. Uh, it means all that when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is the source of the church. He's the life of the church, and he is the boss of this church. He's the boss of this church. We are his body, but he is the boss. Here's what happens What keeps us from representing him in the world, this is what keeps us from revealing God's glory in the world, is when we chop the head off of us. When the church decides, you know who really rules the church, it's this group of people that we've elected, or this this group of people who've been here the longest, or this person that sits in a seat of authority, or these people that sit in a crowded, smoke-filled room and make decisions. Those are the people that are in charge of the church. And friends, I've got to tell you, if at any point, if at any point we, the First Baptist Church Norfolk, believe that any group or any person is the boss of this church other than Jesus Christ, we have chopped the head off and we're in trouble. Okay, now that includes you. See, you sit there and you'll clap, say amen, but the minute you want something done in the church that fits what you like, you you get just a little bit irritable if you don't get it done. Am I right? Now, you might not say, well, yeah, I, I know people like that. I do too. Now, I understand it. I really do. And, 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 and believe me, I'm in this struggle with you. But we have to have the right belief about the church. We are the body and Jesus is the head. So you might say, well, how do we decide what to do in the church? You look to Jesus. I mean, figure out what he would do and do it. And if he wouldn't do it, don't do it. You might say, well, Jesus, I mean, how can we look and see what Jesus would do? We have the Bible. And we've got to go to the Bible to see what the head of the church wants us to do. What should be the priority of the church? Whatever was the priority for Jesus. What should we be most intent about doing? Whatever Jesus was most intent about doing. What should we wear to church? (laughs) I I say that and y'all laugh because none of y'all are going to be wearing flowing robes and sandals to church. (laughs) What? We got sandals. We got the sandals covered. You know, Jesus had a beard, right? I mean, a big beard. You, you, know, you know, Jesus didn't wear a necktie. And, and Jesus didn't wear uh, special clothes to church either. He wore the clothes that he had. 
So again, we, we get wrapped around the axle about certain things that don't matter a bit to God because it didn't matter a bit to Jesus. If we're going to follow the leadership of the head, we have to stop promoting what we want. Start looking at what Jesus would do. What does Jesus want? And if, if it didn't matter to Jesus, let's not make it a big deal to us. I wonder what music Jesus listened to. I wonder, I wonder what, what he sang. I know Isaac Watts wasn't born then. Or Chris Tomlin. See, see now we've got, we've got to get our heads clear about what we believe about the church. The minute, and I'll talk about music here, the minute we start defining the church by the music we play, that's just like defining the car we drive by the radio that's in it. And that's when we're in trouble. We must follow the leadership of our head. And his name is Jesus Christ. If we're going to be Christ's presence in the world, if we're going to be the body of Christ, then we need to stop detaching the head from what we do in everyday life as the church and as individuals in the church. And Jesus is the head of the church, the body. All right, flip on over. Colossians, uh, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and slide on down to verse 12, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ, here's the presence of Christ in our world. If we're going to be the body of Christ, then, then we need to do what Jesus did. But also, we need to understand that as the body, each one of us, everyone here, we're like the letters uh, here. It took all the letters to spell gathering, and, and it took some work to figure out where the letter, letters belonged. And if some letters were missing, you couldn't spell that word. Well, here's the good news, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, Paul says, you come short and no gift. He's talking to the church, he's saying, he's saying the church, that local body of believers has been gifted with everything that they need. I've got to tell you, we have all the alphabet in this church. I have all the alphabet in this church. We, we have everything we need to represent Christ in this world. And everyone is important. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, begin verse 12. Just reading uh, these verses. Uh, if, you were to, if you were to think about who you are in this description. For as the body is one... And has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not, the body is not one member, but many members. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. If you want to focus in on any of those verses, focus in on verse 18. For God has set the members, each one, in the body just as he's pleased. Some of you are fingers, some of you are toes, some of you are ears, some of you are eyes, some of you are hair follicles that don't fall out. You are part of the body. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been baptized as a believer into First Baptist Church Norfolk, so he has called you here. And he has placed you here on purpose. He has planted you in this family of faith on purpose, and that purpose is to demonstrate, reveal Christ's presence in the world. For us together to fulfill the mission that Jesus began. He has equipped you, and he has called you. The question is... Are you a toe that's trying to be an eye? Are you a kneecap that's trying to be a rib cage? Are you an eyebrow that's trying to be an ear? See, God has gifted you and equipped you. But some of us in the room at different times, we decide to think, you know what, I'd much rather be doing something different than what I'm doing right now. One of the enemies to God's calling us and purpose for us in this family of faith, one of the enemies to that is the idea that I just don't have to obey God's calling, his special gifting. I can do whatever I want to do. Now, again, we're a democratic church, and nobody's being the police of spiritual gifts here. But if the finger consistently tries to be the mouth, eventually... Even better, if the foot consistently tries to be the mouth, eventually everything gets out of whack. You see, this family of faith is not about you individually or me individually. This church is about we, the body. And we have multiple members each one gifted in a unique way. But one of the enemies to the purpose that God has given us, which is revealing God's glory to the world, one of the enemies to that purpose is when we decide we're going to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. We ignore the gifting he's given us. Another enemy uh, to us fulfilling our purpose and kind of derailing the body is when we forget that this is about pleasing God rather than pleasing me. When we decide, well, you know, I know that God pleases to do it this way, but I don't really care if God pleases to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Well, the moment that any of us, beginning with me, the moment that any of us decide that my pleasure is greater than God's pleasure in the body of Christ, we are causing damage to the body of Christ. The minute I say, well, what, what pleases me is the most important thing. In that moment. I derail, because remember who is the head. It's not you. It's not me. It's Christ. 
So we need to set our sights even individually on what is going to please him most. We derail that purpose when we get self-centered. Oh, I'm going to do this this way because it satisfies me the most. Well, that's that's really not the way to go. That's what derails the church. When we decide we're going to do things our way because that's what makes us happy. So we, we have to evaluate an enemy to that purpose that God has given us uh, to be the body of Christ in the world is, is our own self-centeredness. Ultimately, and this is ultimately, ultimately the enemy to us fulfilling the purpose that God has given us, you know, where he sets us in the body as he pleases, the enemy to that is uh, our disobedience. I mean, just, just rebellion. I mean, you just call it what it is. It's, it's our rebellion against God. It's where, where Jesus tells us, I want you to do A, B, and C, and we say no. Or I want you to stop doing A, B, and C, and we say no. When, when we see clearly that Jesus would have me do this, and I say, I don't care. That's when we derail the body. And one member, I mean, you break your big toe, it hurts. And it all, I mean, it hurts every part of your body. I mean, that pain shoots up all up into your eyebrows. And and it makes it hard to walk, to function. If one part of our body is broken, then we're all in trouble. You are important in how you behave, how you live, what you say, what you do, and how you serve. It is important. We are the body of Christ. Secondly, we are the gathering of God's people. We're the people of God. Uh, Don't have just a ton of time to deal with this one in depth, but the gathering of God's people... um, if you were to look in Galatians chapter 3, begin verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I'll, I'll just hit on one part of this. Uh, in the New Testament, when, when, uh, when the Scripture is talking in the New Testament about the people of God, it uses uh, family imagery. Inheritance, sons, daughters, that kind of thing. And so in Galatians chapter 3, we have this picture of the people of God or the family of God. Galatians chapter 3, for you, begin verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so, so there it is. That's crossing the line of faith. If you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not a son or a daughter of God. You're not in his family. You're not part of the people of God. All right? And, and that's the Bible. That's not me being mean and intolerant. That's just what the Bible says, which I believe and have experienced personally. All right, so, uh, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Underline it. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you 
are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. So the family of God, being part of God's family and being uh, the gathering of God's people, well, it, it means that, that we are family. That, that we truly are family. That where there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Greek nor Scythian, where, where we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that is the way we're supposed to be. But the church from the very outset had trouble with that. We see this in Acts chapter 15. I mean, it was hard for a Greek to get along with a Jew. The Gentiles and the Jews had, had uh, agreed mutually that they would never have anything to do with each other. Jewish people w- wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles, and Gentile people wouldn't have anything to do with Jewish people. But once the Jewish person or the Gentile person came to faith in Jesus Christ, they entered into a new family where they were neither Jewish nor Gentile, but now they were part of the people of God gathered together. There were all types, all social strata. They didn't say, we only want rich people or we only want poor people. They didn't say we only appeal to the working class or we only appeal to the corporate executives. They didn't say we only want young people, nor did they say we only want old people. They they said all classes, all types, all social strata gathered together one. In Christ Jesus, we're family. Now, we're here today, and today in the four, five worship gatherings, six worship gatherings, if you count the Hispanic worship, seven if you count the Russian worship, uh, in the seven worship gatherings, we're going to have people that speak different languages, people that have different uh, economic situations, people of different ethnicity and different ages. We're going to have five generations. Every week that we get together, we have five generations that meet together. And I love it. I really do. I love it. And I hate it. I I love it because I think that's what heaven's going to be like. More generations than just five. It's biblical. It's right. It's appropriate. We're not supposed to divide the church in ages and say, well, if you're young, you meet here, and if you're old, you meet here, and if you're older, you meet. That's not how we do worship, gathering together as God's people. We get together as a family reunion where we have everyone together. I love it. But it's hard. It's hard because those of you who love the big band sound, do not like Maroon 5. Or maybe you do. I don't know. And those who love One Direction. <laughs> probably are not big fans of the big band sound. Or Frank Sinatra. Or Elvis Presley. 
But here's the thing. As the body of Christ, we get together and we set our preferences at the door. And we show preference to one another. Not over the things that we want. And that's hard. And that's just hard. Two weeks, November, first week in uh, November during Disciple Now, Disciple Now band's going to be leading worship. Next week, Master's Choir leading worship. A couple of weeks after that, our 127 crew is going to be leading worship. Some of y'all are not going to like one of those times. I, I mean, let's just be honest, you're not. But here's what the body of Christ is. We're a family that gets together and we will find the good in the worship that others enjoy for the glory of God and the good of each other. Because our goal is not to make ourselves happy. Our goal is to reveal God's glory in the world. Don't have time to dig any deeper in that one. Number three, the church is empowered to reveal His glory. You might say, well, how in the world can we be one as Christ has made us one? Well, the truth is, you have the Spirit of God residing within you. Uh, The category for number one, the metaphor of Scripture there is the body of Christ. Number two, the metaphor in Scripture there is the family of God or the people of God. Metaphor of Scripture number three is the temple of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we're the temple of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells within us. And we know because the Spirit of God dwells within us that we have been empowered and equipped to live in unity together as the people of God. To function together as the body of Christ. We have been empowered and equipped by the Spirit of God so that we might reveal God's glory to our world. So that we might fulfill the mission that Jesus began. So that we might follow the leadership of our head, Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit's work in us that make the fruit of the Spirit the guiding principles by which we engage one another. And by the way, talking about spiritual giftedness, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, and you look down in and, and, uh, verse uh, 26, it says... It, it, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. Now he's talking about spiritual giftings and people gifted this way. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all are workers of miracles, not all have the gift of healings, not all speak in tongues, not all interpret. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And I'll show you a more excellent way. What are the best gifts? What's the more excellent way? Love. And here's the, here's the key for us as a church. Now, I, I, I really believe this. I really do. 
The key for us as a church is that the Spirit of God resides within us so that this beautiful, wondrous, glorious love might exist between us. Apart from the Spirit of God, there won't be unity. I know that. The Bible teaches that. It's the Spirit of God that unites us together under the banner of Christ. And what does the Spirit of God awaken in us? Well, certainly these individualized gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 13, the more excellent way, this is what he says the church should be about. Now, when I preach 1 Corinthians 13, I'll preach on... uh, I'll preach it at, at weddings, you know, I'll read it at a wedding time, and, and it, it's right there, or, or during, uh, during February, you know, love time, and, and it's certainly it's, it's about relationships and that kind of thing, but the context, Paul was giving a corrective for the church at Corinth to get back together and do it right. And he said, love, oh yes, love. That's what we need. Now, guys, i got to tell you, the Spirit of God is equipping and empowering you and challenging you and me today not only to exercise the gifts that He's given us, but to love each other the way Christ has loved us. To love each other. To show respect to one another. To care and have compassion for one another. To rejoice when one is honored and to grieve when one is sorrowful. We're called to love each other. After all, that's what Jesus said. The world will see that we're his followers, that we're his church by our love for one another. So I go back. I'm asking you. I'm not talking about the people you've known for 25 years, but I'm talking about the people in this church that you barely know. Do you love them the way Christ has loved you? See, if we don't, we got some growing to do. And how could it ever hurt for us to grow in love with each other? Last thing I'll say, and I mean it, this isn't fake, it's the last thing I'll say. The church is the gospel made flesh to a watching world. You know, how we relate to each other, the reason we need to do it the way Jesus did is because we're trying to tell a watching world that Jesus saves and as the body of Christ why is it important for us to exercise the gifts in the way that God has given us because we 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 are trying to tell a watching world that Jesus saves and why is it important to be empowered to serve God's glory in this world because we're trying to tell a watching world that Jesus saves We are the church. We're First Baptist Church, Norfolk, Virginia. 
and through us, God's going to change the world.